Today we're going to be looking at the characteristics of the church. We're going to move through this sermon pretty quick because I have a, a special closing activity uh, that we're all going to do together uh, at the end today. Uh, so get your Bibles out, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to put some mileage on those scriptures this morning. During his ministry, Jesus said he would build his church. And with the, the preaching of the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we're told thousands heard the word of God. They were baptized into Christ and they were added to the Lord's church, Acts 2.41. The apostles continued to preach and to grow the church throughout New Testament times. And it's important that we know what the early church was like and what led to their growth, what led to their maturity. And our text today reveals to us four qualities very clearly that the early church was devoted to. And in order to be the church today, we must be devoted to these same ideals. So read with me there, starting in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and of prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the first thing that we learn in reading these passages, these few verses, is that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And all that means is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The, the doctrine that was taught by the apostles carried down from the things that Christ taught them. And Jesus expected people to, to hear his teachings, to, to believe them, and to accept them. In Matthew 28, verse 20, he left them with this as part of the Great Commission. He told them to teach them, talking about those who they would teach, the apostles would teach, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He gave the apostles the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth, we're told in John 16. And there was no doubt that the apostles' word was to be received and accepted as the word of God, as if Jesus himself we're revealing them these things to us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we note there it says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, this is Paul speaking as an apostle, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. And they were even giving out warnings, too, during the first century as they would go and they would preach and teach. They would tell people things like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. And he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And so if any, any false teaching, any false teaching that doesn't include the gospel, any teaching that doesn't include the gospel is false teaching, and we should not follow anyone preaching those things. 
We should look in the Scripture. We should make sure that whatever is being taught matches what Christ taught and what the apostles taught. And do we have this same devotion today? Many churches today do not, allowing social trends and cultural norms and situational ethics. They allow false teachers to supersede the Word of God. And many supersede the Word of God in just about every area of life. An incorrect teaching of God's Word in the church has led many to accept perverted and horrible ideas, even within our religious institutions in our society. Just this past week, you may have noticed on the news that the United Methodist denomination, they just elected their first openly gay bishop. Even against the own tenets of their, of their church, of their denomination, they still elected him. And there are many gay preachers within that denomination and many other denominations. In this most recent election, the people of Montana voted to deny health care for babies. Babies who were born alive after an un unsuccessful abortion attempt. Only horrible and sickening ideas like this can come out of much false teaching. When God's word is taught and proclaimed loud and clear, and a nation is living by his word, these types of ideas are not promoted in society and definitely are not promoted in the church. And we need to heed Christ and his apostles regarding their teachings. Never shrink back from, the, from his word. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 tells us, Brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings that we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So these things written for us in the New Testament are as if Christ were here saying them to us. And it's important that we imitate the early church in their commitment to the apostles' doctrine. And next we note that they were committed to the fellowship. Now what is fellowship? This word means to be devoted to a common cause. It is a sharing of common interest, a mutual participation in something. And we know the common cause was the spreading of the gospel of Christ. Godly people have always delighted in spiritual sharing. And notice this is a, a free will sharing. The apostles didn't go around and command people, oh, you sell your property, you're wealthy, you, you take all the money out of your bank account and you give it to this person. No, they weren't doing that. It was a free will sharing of everything that they had because they, they loved one another. They wanted to see the church grow. They wanted to, to share with their brothers and sisters. And sharing by assembling together is crucial to spiritual well-being. This is why the Hebrew writer told us, don't forsake the assembling of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And do we have this same devotion and fellowship today? Many Christians today do not make fellowship with brothers and sisters a priority in life. Many allow other things to hinder their assembling together. And if we expect the world to want to be serious about following Christ, we must first make it a priority ourselves. We need to set our priorities straight, as Matthew 6.33 says, to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. 
An operative word in that passage in Matthew 6, is the word first. Make it first. Make fellowship with the saints first. Make fellowship with your Lord and Savior around this table first. Make it a priority. What is it that we're allowing to push His kingdom aside? What is it that we're allowing to be first place in our lives? A healthy, growing, kingdom-minded church will be made up of individual Christians who value the principle of assembling and sharing in spiritual matters. And at this point, I want to interject some personal thoughts here. Because at Monroeville Christian Church, I think we do an exceptional job of this. The church body here seems like an extension of our family. We can't spend enough time together, those who are here often. And if you're not part of our Wednesday night fellowship and our Sunday evening times, our, our Bible studies, our fellowship meals, our ladies' group meetings, our, our men's groups meetings, our Friday night Bible studies, you are missing out on something precious and extremely special. And this sermon isn't to discourage those who haven't been part of those things. It's to encourage you, please, to please join in those things. We only have so much time. As things get worse and worse in the world, Christians need each other even more. Make it a habit of being with the Lord's people as much as you possibly can. Your faith will strengthen. I guarantee your friendships will deepen. Your family will be blessed in ways far beyond any earthly activities can promise. The first church was also devoted to the breaking of bread, as we see in our text. And the context here would suggest that it's a reference to the Lord's Supper because these other things are are part of worship, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, prayer. And so this breaking of bread is more than likely a reference to participation in the Lord's Supper because it is also a time of sharing, a time of communing with one another and with our Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, it says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Here he's clearly talking about the communion event. And he goes on to say, Is it not the bread that we break? the same language here as in our text, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Jesus himself instituted the supper, and it's observed weekly in the scriptures. We're told in Acts 20, verse 7, that Paul and his companions, when they were there in Troas, that they stayed on for an extra week. And he says specifically, on the first day of the week, they came together. To break bread. Sadly, many churches do not observe a weekly supper. If they do participate in communion together, it's observed monthly, maybe quarterly, sometimes only annually, and many times it's inserted inappropriately in other observances, such as weddings or a first communion. Others allow many things to hinder their observance of this feast that's set before us every week. Family, jobs, recreation become more important than keeping this first. 
Nothing should be more important in our week than coming around this very table. When we forsake our remembrance of Him, we're by default saying, other things are more important than you, Lord. Other things are more important than your blood shed for us on Calvary. Other things are more important than the forgiveness of sin. See, our seat around this table should not be empty as much as it depends on us. And the Church of Christ provides for a weekly time of communion for its members to partake. The final characteristic of the early church was prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to not lose heart. In the parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, the, the idea here is that, that we cry out, that we continue asking, that day and night we go to the Lord with our concerns. He, he wants to hear them. He's a loving, gracious, merciful Father who wants to hear our pleas. And we have the blessing of Christ serving as our high priest through whom we can pray. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Here he's talking about that open avenue of prayer that we have to the Father through the Son, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're taught to pray fervently. We're taught to pray frequently. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Some translations say pray continually. And sadly, many Christians in many churches neglect this important and daily religious activity. And many do not receive because they don't ask, because many never tap into the power of prayer. And if we desire to be the church of Christ, we must be a people of constant prayer. And so finally, let's take a look at some of the results of their devotion to these things. It became a, a way of life. The, these things, they, they helped them to be in one heart, and of one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35 tells us. And they willingly helped and shared with others who had need. The love they showed to one another was a sign of true discipleship. As Jesus said, that they would know them, they would know that they were His disciples, the world would, if they would love one another. In John 13, 34. Other churches in the New Testament had similar devotion for each other. If we read through the letters that are written. And we're, we're taught to love one another fervently. And in dire circumstances, we need to be willing to follow the example of the early disciples. To share with one another. They participated in daily service. We're told they continued to meet together. Multiple places were told this. In our text, in Acts chapter 5, verse 42, they met from house to house daily. They met in the temple courts daily. And we need to ask the question, what about us? 
Do we think of ways to serve the Lord every day of the week? Do we consider ways to be with one another as often as we possibly can? Do we consider ways how to serve each other daily? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 19, so Paul here compares the church in, the, in this section to the physical body. And he begins in verse 19 by saying, If the whole body were one part, where would the body be? And he goes into this dissertation about the body and how uh, it's made up of all these different parts and each part needs each other. And at the end, in verse 26, he says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The thinking, considering the human body, how long would a part of your body last if it were separated from the rest of the body? How long would the hand last if you cut it off and laid it over on the ground? How long would the eye last if you plucked it out and tossed it in the weeds? How long would... It's a graphic image, I understand. It's, it's not comfortable to think about, is it? When you consider a part of your body not being attached to another part, how long would your body last without the heart? Without the lungs? Without the kidneys? Without the brain? When we really think about it, it's, it's graphic image. It's a... It's a it's something that should strike us. And Paul's making this point here to, to, to make us realize it's not going to last long at all. A part of the physical body may, may be a few hours. Okay? It's viable. Away from the other body. The apostles knew that the church would need each other. Paul's point here is that Christ knew that we would need each other. You cannot be a Christian all by your lonesome. That idea is foreign to the Scriptures. The New Testament church enjoyed purposeful unity. They had everything in common, we're told. They united in their worship. And this is the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for. And they worked diligently to maintain that unity. They kept one mind, one purpose, working together. And despite their difficulties, they lived their lives praising God. And notice in verse 47 of our text, it says, They had favor with all the people. They lived lives that promoted goodwill from those who are lost. We're going to look at one last scripture in Romans Chapter 12, if you would turn to Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. And this scripture is split up into two parts, an easy part and a hard part. Now I'm not talking about your head, about your hair. An easy part and a difficult part. Romans 12, starting verse 17, said, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is the easy part. Okay, this first section. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. See, that part's easy. It's easy for us to just be passive, to sit back and live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on us. Okay, don't repay evil for evil. Okay, don't do nasty things to people just because they do something bad to you. That's easy. But this next part is a lot harder. Where he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a lot more difficult, isn't it? To practice in our daily lives. These are important words for us today. It's not always easy to do these things, but it's the example that we have. What happened as a result of their devotion to all of these things that they adhered to? What's the scripture tell us? As they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer, ultimately, what does it say that they experienced? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We want to see revival in the church. We want to see the Lord's church grow in Monroeville. Church, we have to practice these things. We have to be devoted to these things. There have been many church growth experts and gurus who have written countless books, seminars pertaining to church growth, but God has given us the best, most tried and true method of growing His his church in these few verses. But it's up to us to make it happen. We are a vibrant, healthy, sacrificially giving, fervently studying gospel-preaching, discipleship-making, powerfully-praying church at Monroeville Christian Church. And let's never go, let go of these ideals. Carry them from generation to generation. And when the local church is focused on these things, the church will grow, lives will be changed, and people will be converted to the cause of Christ and added to His family. We're going to close the the regular part of our service right now if the guys go ahead and come up. We're going to offer an invitation time, as we always do. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're willing to repent of your sin, you're willing to confess that He is Lord before others, and you're willing to submit into baptism in water for the forgiveness of your sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to make that opportunity available right now as we sing a song. And as we always say, this isn't the only time you can do this. It's an appropriate time. It's a convenient time because others are here. But if you have things that you, you want to study, you have questions, please don't leave today before you get those answered. This is the most important thing that you can do in your life.